0: FireRecruitmentAustralia.com. Become a firefighter without wasting years of your life, time, money, and effort on things that won't work. Get the facts and what works. You're listening to the Fire Recruitment Australia podcast with your host, Brent Clayton. In this week's episode, Brent takes to the other side of the microphone on The Ginny Show and talks about his career path, how he solved a problem and turned it into a business, and the mentality behind entrepreneurship.
1: Joining me for brunch today is Brent Clayton, all the way from Castlemaine in Victoria, Australia.
0: Hi, Brent. How you doing, Jenny? Thanks for having me on.
1: Well, Brent, I just want to get to, to know your story a little bit better. You've created quite a lifestyle for yourself, the boy from Castlemaine. So tell me, where did you grow up and um, tell me what it was like?
0: So I actually grew up in a, a town called Chewton, which is about eight kilometres from Castlemaine, being big smug. Castlemaine's got life two sets of traffic lights, shooting has none. It's got a post office, a milk bar and a pub. It was it was great growing up in the country. I, like I'd recommend it to, to most people as long as you got some sort of perspective on, on the fact that there is other stuff going on elsewhere. But I think it was a really, really good way to grow up. What
1: do you think a country-raised person has over a city-raised person, if that makes sense?
0: Nowadays or back in my day, like when I was a kid?
1: I think back in your day. Nowadays, I can kind of see the reward. <laughs> but yeah. uh, back back yeah. then, I'm wondering what it would be, like the angle would be.
0: Well, in my sort of experiences, maybe a little bit more freedom because there's less worry, I think, from your parents and stuff like that. And like I did a paper round when I was nine years old, so... I was exposed to growing up in, in that way and sort of having a bit of autonomy, whereas I think back then a lot of people that lived in the city may not have been afforded that sort of interaction on the on the scale that I was allowed as a, as a sort of kid. Does that make sense?
1: When you mean scale, as in uh, freedom, as in you're allowed to kind of do more things because there are less people to be aware of, is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah, pretty much. Like I'm sure kids that live in the city were doing like um, pamphlet drops and stuff to put it in the same basket. But because everyone knew everyone, it's like you're working within this network and no one's really worried and it's like, you know, here's your motorbike and push bike and, you know, go off and do your own thing. And, yeah, there was a lot more autonomy to get up to mischief, I reckon.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, How were you like as a kid? Did you get up to mischief or were you fairly well behaved?
0: Yeah, Uh, I I was pretty... A bit naughty, actually. Um, yeah, we used to like go around, <laughs> you know, rocking roofs and knick-knocking houses and uh, stuff like that, um, getting getting cigarettes from the milk bar, obviously. Just just the general sort of carry-on that, that kids get up to. But uh, mum did a pretty good job of, uh, you know, making me accountable for the, the bad stuff so that I could, uh, <laughs> you know, find my own way out of that. <laughs>
1: Did you go to school in? Uh, is it what? What was that town? Yeah,
0: yeah. So true. I was one of six grade sixes. So really massive school.
1: <laughs> one of six.
0: Yeah, yeah. One of one of six. I was probably one of the one of the tough ones. We had our own gang. Wow. Yeah, we used to listen to Snoop Dogg on a on a Walkman. <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Wow, it's the hardcore stuff, isn't it?
0: Yeah, we're right (laughs) off.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. So other than forming gangs, which, you know, in the country you listen to Snoop Dogs, obviously, maybe in the city it's a little bit more hardcore than that. But how did you kind of, so you went from there, you became a firefighter. I'm just really curious to know, you know, being from that background, what kind of led you there?
0: Cool. So I had like, a, you know, when you leave school and you've got some sort of large dream of what you're going to do and you, then you're like, oh, I'll get, get this job just for just for a little while over Christmas or whatever until I go fly helicopters I was going to do for the army. That was my plan. And then I got the job and I ended up doing the job that I was going to do for three months to five years. I always knew there was more sort of out there. So a simple sort of quick story of how I got to the firefighter thing was I heard about it from a friend and what attracted to me attracted it to me was is describing a you work four days and you had four off and they had nine weeks leave, all of this stuff that sounded like it was made up to me and then I thought the job might be a bit of a bonus as well. So I had a crack at getting that job, which I failed at. <laughs> Yeah. So then I'm like, well, how do I improve my chances of getting this job? Because I was really keen on this nine weeks leave and all that sort of jazz. So I applied for a similar job at the prison and I sort of learnt how how it rolls and how it all works through doing that. Then I got the job at the prison, which sort of gave me a little bit more life experience to leverage and so forth. When the next round came, I managed to snag myself a spot in the fire service. So that's the short version of (laughs) Wow.
1: So you kind of, you have a military training and then you kind of snag yourself a spot in the fire service. That's quite a bit of a, I mean, it's it's funny here in America, they say, oh, you know, no one ever protests the fire department. And, you know, we look at Australia, no one really ever protests anyone there. (laughs) But it's interesting too, like, that must have been a pretty big transition for you, but I'm assuming you would have had a sense of discipline kind of embedded in your training there.
0: Yeah, look, compared to like military, the, the fire service was, I, I expected it to be a lot harder, but it, it actually turned out it was a fair bit easier than um, the way. The military is a lot more structured and services coming into like a new sort of PC age, so they can't do the bastardization and that that used to sort of go on, which is good. And I'm sure that the ADF and that are going that way as well nowadays, trying to, you know, actually come up with smart learning environments so that they're getting the best out of their people instead of the, you know, 1980s concrete in your pocket sort of carry on. But, yeah. Wow.
1: So I can tell that from your military training and then going into the fire service, you're a pretty disciplined dude. Brent. So I'm not surprised that you've created success for yourself. You've created a business for yourself that you're able to pretty much, it's it's going pretty well, clearly. You saw a problem or you saw a pain point in the fire recruitment process, a gap in resources and training, which you've managed to fill with uh, Fire Recruitment Australia I know that didn't come overnight. you put in a lot of blood, sweat and tears, including you know sitting on the porch and writing a book. Talk us through that journey, and um, what actually made you or inspired you to commit to that?
0: Well, so obviously, as I said before, I failed at my first attempt, and I, I really dislike failing and that feeling of failure. So then I like I'm good at committing to stuff and going you know doing the extraordinary, or extraordinary, putting in more effort than the other guy so that I can can win. So I managed to do that and get across the line. And then and I was like, there must be so many people that come from similar backgrounds to me that are in the same spot. And if I had have had just this little bit more of information, I would have saved an entire year of my life. So that's sort of and I'm like, and no one was doing it at the time. The internet was pretty new, like in 20 to 2008 when I started. So, you know what I mean? There, there wasn't really anything there for that specific thing. And I thought if I can save someone a year or two or three of their life, that's a pretty cool thing, I reckon. So, that that's sort of what got me. To do it. It's like, what would I have liked back then? So I'm richer for the process though, I suppose. It, I think a lot of the time your adversity is what gets you to do good stuff like, like writing the book and making the programs and all that sort of stuff. You know what I mean?
1: Absolutely. It's it's interesting that you say that it's adversity that kind of inspired you and the fact that you weren't happy with the fact that you'd failed at going to be a firefighter. I um, saw this article or was a documentary the other day. It was like four different types of – four different people going to run a race and it was like – There was an African-American guy, a Latino guy, a guy who had the faith of Islam, and then a Caucasian guy. And they were kind of showing this as privilege. So the Caucasian guy was already miles ahead in this race because he had a head start in privilege. But the three other minority groups had to work harder to get ahead, and they ended up winning in this particular, I don't know if it was a documentary or a video I saw, but it is that place of adversity, I think, that if you let it, it can actually motivate you to propel forward.
0: Yeah, I, I think, just, just a quick one, I like the way you said Latino and the Latino accent.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Latino. <laughs> yeah. Clearly I here too much, yeah.
0: <laughs> definitely, yeah. Like I think adversity, if you're the right personality type, will definitely drive you. Like it, there's nothing more that used to push me than if someone said, you can't do that <laughs> and be like, yeah, right, that's, that's it. You've just challenged me without knowing it and thank you very much because it's <laughs> <I need laughs> to, to sort of, you know, follow me up and prove you're wrong or whatever.
1: So you, you've been doing this for 10 years. There's courses online. There's a book that you've written or maybe numerous books from what I've seen. There's a podcast. There's videos. I mean, you've been doing this all still while being a firefighter. I mean, that's pretty insane, Brent. Like that's, that, that must, like, fill up a lot of your schedule. How do you stay balanced?
0: <laughs> yeah, um, you should talk to my partner. <laughs> She'd agree <laughs> <with me. laughs> Keeping it balanced came through my understanding and learning about how to structure a business and leverage a team so that I didn't have to spend all of my time working on things that are not my strengths. There's, do you know what I'm saying there? So like checking emails that could be checked by someone else without being a detriment to serving my customer yeah yeah so yeah that, that's pretty much how i balance it in saying that it's still pretty pretty hectic because it is a full-time job and a full-time business and you know i've got a three-year-old kid etc cetera, etc cetera. so yeah but it's it's doable you just got to have have a rip <laughs>
1: Just what you said there about, you know, getting, it's a full-time job and obviously you want to maintain balance that you have. So you have a team that you can leverage to do that. It's interesting. Someone the other day told me that all the CEOs of the major like Fortune 500 companies or just, you know, CEOs who've managed to accumulate, you know, a shit ton of wealth. (laughs) One of the things they do is they delegate these tasks because they want to have that kind of clear space to envision, which is really interesting. So when you kind of Obviously, I'm. I'm. You know, when you're planning out your business and stuff, when you kind of delegate tasks, what's the first thing that you do? Do you delegate according to how much time, energy, and effort it's going to take, or do you delegate according to a process?
0: It's a process, so it's it's really simple. But you just sort of like what I did, just wrote out all of the tasks. So like the operations that have to go on on like a daily, weekly, monthly, and then. um sort of pick out the ones that are my genius or the things that when, I, when I'm on, it makes me like get goosebumps or my hair stand up a little bit. So I can't get someone else to do that. You Do know, you know what I mean? Yeah. You would have that in what you do. You're like, this is my stuff, right? So no one can do that bit. So then look at the rest of them and then prioritize like what, what are the things that shit me the most here? that someone else could do. So then start moving them off the plate. The, the trick with that is that you've got to be able to train the person to do that effectively. So, yeah, it's, it's like an inventory of tasks and then prioritising, you know, which ones you can get rid of. And I, I did it by, like, which ones were a drain on me. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like uh, I, <laughs> there, there's so much going on in a business <laughs> that... I sort of wanted to have a clear mind and remain positive. So anything that was, you know, ulterior to that, I'd. if I can get someone else to do it, then I can focus on, you know, creating a better product and working with really good people to get really good results.
1: That's so true. It's like allowing yourself to be the visionary. And obviously, if you have a more positive frame of mind, you can fuel that through the business and through what you design. One interesting thing that we were talking about was the lack of white space entrepreneurs or, you know, managing directors or people who run companies, founders, whatnot seem to have in their calendar. And it comes with a, I guess the penalty that it comes with is back and forth with communication because communication is one of those things every, I think every entrepreneur I've spoken to has some form of issue. It looks different from each person of how to communicate and how to mitigate that into a process. Tell us a little bit about your experience, Brent, and how you've kind of managed this.
0: Okay. Yeah. So communication is a massive one and I think it, it comes down to what you allow to go on as far as you're communicating. And uh, the big one that me and you were talking about, Jenny, was the the scheduling things, right? And, you know, like it's emails back and forth with different people to, oh, how's Thursday at 4.15 and this and that. And I, I know mm-hmm. there's scheduling apps and all that sort of stuff like Calendly and I think I use Acuity or something like that. But it's the sort of the stuff outside of that that I feel like we spend so much time back and forthing and all that when we just need to rip into it and get it done like there's some things i've done more on the back and forth than the than the actual the activity but it's been in my head for a week leading up to that you know the event or whatever so yeah i think you need to get clear about how you roll and what you're going to accept as how you communicate with people that you work with and your team
1: Right. So if we could like break that down into like a five-step process, you'd say the first step is to communicate better.
0: Yeah. Well, just to, like what I've done most recently, because it's an evolving thing for me, and I'm sure it is for a lot of other people, to figure out the way you like to communicate. I, I like talking. It's email to me, is it's supposed to be a productivity sort of tool, but I think it's sort of gone in reverse. So figure out the way you like to communicate and then make that your primary communication tool. Absolutely, yeah. And then set, set some sort of rules with your, your team on how and how often, like a rhythm of communication. So there was a point there where I'd get my main assistant, Lorene, to email me every day what she'd done, which just gave me another job to do. Do you know yeah. what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah. So,
0: so now I'm like, if something comes up that you can't deal with, give me a call. Otherwise, just give me a weekly rundown on what you achieved over and above, you know, the general stuff and anything that we need to work on. And and now I've got four more days that I don't have to check, you know, what she's up to.
1: You kind of want to be the manager that doesn't have to micromanage your team as well. It's actually no difference than getting someone to do it for you. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. It's It's like... I haven't had a phone call yet but it also gives the person more autonomy to go i won't call him because i'll just fix it yeah so whereas if they're like oh, i can send an email or a text or a you know a i message or whatever that is so much easier for them to get it off their plate than to go hold on i'll just fix it yeah because they if you to ring me, it better be for a good reason. Do you know what I'm saying?
1: <laughs> yeah. It's it's interesting too because running my business as well, I kind of think to myself, okay, what's the best way to communicate? How can we kind of streamline it? Because for me, I'm trying to get away from email. I only really send out e- – I mean, it's gotten to a point where I think my team know, oh, if Ginny sends an email, there's something wrong, so I'm trying not to scare them. But you, you made a really good point there about how it kind of varies per circumstance. You can't just say, I'm always going to text when this happens.
0: Well, I I use sort of two communication mediums that I like. Like you would imagine, I have ideas that I can't execute because my time is finite, but I have someone that I can give them to, right? But if you just send them a text or a Skype message or something like that, that can get lost. So, I have an Asana thing where I can put that up there as a task for them to do and check it on a monthly. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Where's that at sort of thing? And then there's the sort of the more on the spot things, which can be by phone, yeah. And that's for me. Like everyone's different, but I think it's just about figuring out what you actually like doing. You just talked about email. Email shits me. It's like a list of other people's jobs for you, almost.
1: Yeah, it's so true. And the back and forth and can we do this? I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to turn this into a task on Asana and I'm good.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and hopefully give it to somebody else.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hopefully I can delegate this task. Brent, it's been awesome getting to know, you know, some of the ways that you mitigate through this. What are some of the other like pitfalls that you've seen other people do when it comes to communicating things and, and getting things done?
0: Getting things done, I I reckon, and this goes for everybody. There's some people that are really good about it is you've got to actually do something so like, and not get distracted. I I think in, in the modern world, like you've got your iPhone or whatever sitting there and dinging and binging and all that sort of stuff, you've got to know where you're going and what the steps are to get there and then just start executing it, you know, because it's so much more easy to pick up check if you've got an extra like on Instagram or whatever, that <laughs> the majority of people do. Or, you know, if if you like like signing up to sort of shiny object emails and ads and stuff like that, you'll find yourself reading everyone else's emails. I'd rather be sending the email than, than reading it.
1: No, I'm the same as you. It's interesting too about distraction. I've had to put my phone on Do Not Disturb and my computer on Do Not Disturb as well because I get notifications all the time. And they are distracting because I think for me, if someone also I've noticed my um, anxiety has changed. Not that I was anxious before overly, but when you get an email... You know when you get an email from a client or someone who, you know, maybe says things in the wrong way and then you get rubbed up the wrong way, then you go off that task and you you jump onto that email and you're not in the best frame of mind to reply to that email either.
0: (laughs) Definitely. You're putting out a fire pretty much instead of continuing on your positive trajectory.
1: (laughs) And you'd like to put out fires as a firefighter, not as a business owner.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I didn't even realise I was being so cliché there, but yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, Brent, you've talked about, you know, how you kind of got into the fire service, how you grew up, how you've created a business for yourself. What is the ultimate goal for you? Like why are you, other than for serving a problem point or a pain point that there was out there, other than solving that, what is your main why behind all of this?
0: (laughs) Okay. I've been um, working on sort of quantifying this for myself more than than anything and it's i've got something to to give even if it's just perspective or helping people from a different angle and to to be honest like the money part of the business has become so much more less a reason for me uh, than than anything and yeah so it's just i've got something to give that i think will help people and that's that's the why if i can like you, th- you think about my fire brigade business. That is life changing. If if I can change someone from getting a no into a yes, I might never meet them, but their life is changed f- forever from that point. On. So that's that's my sort of why. Because it, at the end of it all, in in that business, I, I can feel good about that, and and. <laughs> Success, as far as I'm, it's, it's more about how you feel than any amount of, you know, oh, I can put a picture on here and get this many likes or whatever. It's like, it's a personal feeling and that's, you know, if I can be out there and helping people and affecting people in a positive manner, that's my sort of why.
1: Wow. So your why is impact?
0: Yeah, I, I hated how people use that term, but because <laughs> everyone, you know, you just hear it's like it gets thrown around. It's like that—that that is true, but actually, that's what I want to sort of achieve. Yeah, and and in any sort of area that I work in.
1: So you want to leave like an impact and a legacy. Is that like do you like prefer that word better?
0: <laughs> That'd be great, <laughs> but yeah, it's a long road. So you just don't know, you know, where you're going to end up. I think if you keep creating things in a positive, you know, forward sort of format. You can't go wrong, pretty much.
1: Yeah. I'm curious to know, I think people who have that urge, and I hate to use this word for you again, for impact or they want to have some form of legacy that they leave behind on people or a heart print, as Oprah calls it, usually they have some sort sort of story or some inspiration in their life that has led them to that particular place. For you, Brett, what do you think that's been this urge to make an impact on people or or leave behind a heart print?
0: Well, I've like I've sort of become aware of my ability to communicate with people in a like a dumbed down or a different manner to a majority of sort of other people. So and growing up in like I grew my childhood was pretty good, but we were not rich or anything like that and I don't know if you noticed this, but I talk sort of slowly as well. So, all through school, and that it was like, oh, uh, he's not that bright. So, I always had to prove myself. Sort of that is a driver for me going forward. Like, I don't care now, but you, there's this internal, like, absolute winning drive that comes from knowing what you don't want and then getting to a position where you can help other people in their sort of pursuits. Does that make sense? Absolutely.
1: It's interesting that you said, I don't know if you noticed, Jenny, but I talk a little slower. I'm like, no, he just sounds Australian to me. Like, I think that's, that's <laughs> it actually, it didn't it occur to me that there was any kind of, you know, a lack of speed to your speech, but I can imagine getting, you know, but yeah. people do kind of use that as prejudice to be like, oh, well, he's from the country. That's how he talks. He's true blue.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like we said, adversity breeds extraordinary. Responses from people and and that was my sort of miniature version of that. Uh, But, you know, everybody responds to things differently and and my response was to, you know, sort of prove that that's not the case or whatever.
1: (laughs) Well, the handful of people that you went to school with who had that perception of you, what do you think, I don't know if you see them now, but if they could see you now, what do you think they would say or what what do you think they would do?
0: I don't really care, but... It's more of a laugh because it's like I can see where a lot of them are now in comparison. And something that sort of resonated with me was when I was trying to get a job in the fire service and I visited a fire station with a mate that was also trying. I got a job and my mate unfortunately didn't that year. He did later on. And then I sort of moved up through the ranks and not only got a job but started this business there there was people there and they're like we thought you had absolutely no chance of of getting a job do you know what i mean because that based on the way i talked or came across initially so that you know (laughs) that that's a really i like that side of things not only have i proved them wrong but i've managed to ascend to a reasonable area within the the fire service and also achieve helping, you know, countless uh, numbers of people do the same thing.
1: It's interesting how, I mean, I was thinking about this today. I got a friend request from someone on Facebook that, you know, I went to school with and I didn't particularly find it because I went to an all-girls Catholic school and, you know, for a Sri Lankan chubby girl who, uh, you know, was battling with her sexuality, probably not the best place to grow up. I remember getting, uh, I remember she wasn't particularly nice to me and I got a friend request from thinking, Dude, like you had nice to me at school. I'm not going to add you to Facebook, but, you know, I, I'm just – I was thinking I wonder what kind of perked her up to think, oh, yeah, I can add Ginny even though we haven't spoken for years. But I think the point I'm trying to get to is I think when it comes to your haters and those who oppose you or kind of write you off, I think the best way to kind of prove yourself is to completely silence them and not have them in your vision when you're trying to achieve something. Would you agree?
0: Oh, definitely. It's, it's like – you need to clear that and know what your objective is to to win and not the majority of people are like you can't do this, you can't do that. And they're not going to. Yeah. They'll be sitting around talking about how you can't do it and I'll be doing more than the next guy to make sure that I can do it. So definitely. But on on that side of things, I would add her up like <laughs> you know she might have changed it better to have the tent than out I I reckon but
1: I agree I agree I think for me if I were to if I were I was thinking back like I was thinking reflecting on this the other day like was I mean to anyone in high school I don't think I was but I if I were to actually be mean to them and if I discovered that if I were to send them a request I'd send them a message going hey look I'm sorry I was such an asshole to you I didn't you know, I was 13, I didn't really know, I wanted to be cool, but I'm like, just just a friend request, is that what it's come down to?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a funny world they're living in, I reckon, like, it's that wasn't a thing, you know, growing up,
1: because no, no, you're no.
0: rough. the age as me, I think.
1: Yeah, I'm 32, how old are you, Brett?
0: 34, ah. I'm... I'm-
1: <laughs> yeah, so we're out, around, the age, around the same age, around <laughs> same Yeah,
0: you know what I mean? We grew up with, without that medium, so it wasn't a thing. It's just like, oh, she was a bitch. Or, you know, <laughs> it was this. You move on and, you, you know, you might bump into them at the pub 10 years later and it's like, what are you doing? I, You know, I've been this and that. But, yeah, it's it's a really interesting time and I reckon that's just um, I'm of the opinion it's like, well, they might have changed. So, yeah, you just never know, network exchange.
1: I guess to wrap up, Brent, you know, you've gone through quite a bit of adversity and I'm sure there's a lot of people who can kind of draw inspiration from your story. The fact that, you know, you didn't get into the fire service originally, which kind of propelled you to be more competitive. And then you also, you know, you were told at school, oh, this boy's no good. He's not going to go very far and you proved them wrong. What's some advice you could give to people who are kind of battling through adversity in general?
0: Adversity, I suppose it's just if you can draw on your inner strength and and use that like that bad feeling or whatever and turn it into a positive like i love I love that <laughs> I love that shit because like <laughs> yep. I'll keep quiet about it until I've won and then. Then I'll share. You know what I mean?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. You got to celebrate your wins, and I think the, the great thing that you touched on there is you know keep quiet until you've won. And winning doesn't necessarily mean that you've proven them wrong. It's mean that you've achieved what you set out to do.
0: <laughs> exactly, and for be ferocious about it too. Like it's, uh, you know, I work with people that are trying to get jobs, and they want to be in the top couple of percent. To be in the top couple of percent, you have to behave like you are. You, know, you have to do shit that the other 98% are not doing. that. That is what you have to do. It's like, that is a simple mathematical thing. Do you know what I'm saying?
1: Absolutely. Like when you think of actors, like you think of your Meryl Streep's, your Brad Pitt's, your Angelina Jolie's, your Tom Cruise, they're in the top two percentile. Not every actor or actress who sets out to do that is going to end up like that. I think, I'm not saying that you know, it, it's obviously their behavior and their their PR team and their skill or whatever it may be, but it's very true. Everyone who sets out to a goal, it doesn't mean you're going to be the top 2% of that.
0: Exactly. But if you've tr- if you've given it your, you know, 110%, like they'll say, but I oh, mean, if you've left nothing on the table in that direction, at least you know, like you know, that you either deserved it or didn't deserve it. And you taking responsibility for it because it's not like, oh, I'd, I could have done better or whatever. It's like, I'm all in so that I know. Do you know what I mean?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the only way to know, really, when you think about it, when you're being all in.
0: Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, it's everyone, like a lot of people want to make an excuse or it's because of this or that. Like, things happen, of course. but. It's whether you take that as a, a learning experience or like, oh, I'm just going to stick at this because it's someone else's fault or something else's fault. Yeah, like one of the dudes I up just quickly. Eight years it took him to get a job in the fire service.
1: Eight years! What a champion!
0: I put his story on my website there, but just that is legendary. <laughs> like I don't think I would have even done that. You know what I mean? <laughs>
1: wow. Wow, that is amazing. He just—he didn't give up.
0: No, exactly, and he knew what he wanted, and he just got it. And I, I like—I think a lot of that would have been hard to get, but yeah. Anyway, I just thought I'd share that one in there.
1: That is brilliant. Eight years, man. That—that that just goes to show when you really are focused on what you want and what you want to achieve, nothing can really stop you. You know, even
0: yeah, think about obviously you had to have underlying fundamentals but yeah i, I think it's just worth sharing because of the lengths that some people will you know go to but.
1: well think of how many no's gandhi got before he got a yes imagine if he listened to all the no's <laughs> you know and, and he's just one example that i thought of but it's very true and, and i know this all sounds woo woo but it, all this stuff is practical there's practicality in this
0: these theories yeah for sure
1: We could talk for ages about this stuff, but I know you've got to go and you have a job to do. So uh, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it.
0: Awesome. So if you want to learn how to become a firefighter without wasting your time, money and effort on things that don't work, click on the show notes and sign up for my free webinar or visit firerecruitmentaustralia.com and go to the blog. Thanks for listening to Fire Recruitment Australia's podcast and I'll catch you next Monday for more tips to help you stand out in the recruitment process. You're listening to the Fire Recruitment Australia podcast with Brent Clayton. Visit firerecruitmentaustralia.com.